Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, it's been a kind of a busy week of TV over here. At the Televerse. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. how's, it, how's it been for you? It's like, because I watched the Oscars live, like the whole thing, and, and I've been Sucker. catching up on stuff. <laughs> I know, right? So it's been a really busy week of TV for me. How's it been for you? Um, Well, not having two, two of my three shows being off, it's just like, oh, this is what it's like not to review television on a week-to-week basis. I get to actually watch television. And like, <laughs> just, just watch. Isn't it nice? It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah, after it's a, great. you start getting like antsy after a while, you know, but yeah. it's it's nice to have a break every now and again. Uh yeah. we're talking lots of of TV this week on the podcast. Uh it's it, we're getting to the changeover time, so between this yeah. week and next week we're going to have a lot of finales going. Um like an insane amount of premieres. Like March is going to kill us. Yep. yep. Yeah, it is. But uh, until then, we got plenty of TV talk coming. This week at the end of the podcast, we're talking with Katie Burt of Den of Geek and Collider about In the Flesh, which was super fun. Like, I feel like by us talking about it uh, and you checking out the show, now like the, the viewership will have increased by like at least 10%. Like nobody watched In the Flesh. <laughs> right. And uh, it was it's also a really great discussion, too. I, I, I Katie was terrific. Yeah, she's fabulous. So so much fun to, to talk with her about that. We wanted to mention up here at the top a couple things. First of all, I wanted to plug one more time for those who listen to this on the day it gets put up. Podcastathon. Uh, it was great talking with Jimmy Pardo last week about Kojak, but that's the the podcast marathon or telethon that he does every year to benefit uh, charity for doing a cleft palate and and lip surgeries for children in developing nations. So uh, check it out, guys. If you like podcasting. Support podcastathon and uh, and support Smile Train. Also, important podcast uh, information for listeners: if you are a subscriber on iTunes, first of all, thank you, thank you very much. But um, we are having some issues in iTunes, which is that depending on when you subscribe to the podcast, you may not be getting it in iTunes anymore. So um, there's some issue with the various feed redirects that have happened over the years with the televerse. Um, so if, if it's not showing up for you uh, regularly every week, uh, like it should, uh, you need to unsubscribe and resubscribe in iTunes and that will resolve the issue. That should resolve the issue. We are still putting out episodes every Saturday um, like clockwork. So uh, if they're, if you're not getting them, that means that you need to unsubscribe and resubscribe. And we apologize for the, you know, the irritation or, or the, the confusion. Um, I'm not sure exactly what has triggered this, to some Me, listeners, I have again. <laughs> Any technical difficulties started as soon as I started this podcast with you. So this was a delayed. Fault. This was a delayed reaction because it was yeah. only a few weeks ago. But um, but so it's my fault. It, it's it's the the internet's fault is where I feel comfortable put, putting putting that one. So, uh, but we wanted to mention that up here at the top. Uh, hopefully, that this will be our last technical issue for a while. We also wanted to mention some feedback we got this week over on Facebook. We heard from Ryan. Thanks for reaching out, Ryan. Um, he said, "Been an avid listener for a while now. I wonder if you will ever want to cover the Hulu show East Lost High." Uh, best description I can give the show is Latin version of Degrassi set in L.A. I hope I enjoy the show very much, and I love that it is centered mainly on women, and the cast is entirely Latino. 
to things that are that the TV landscape need more of. Also, the AV Club hasn't covered it, which is a shame because I think the show is well made and more people should see it. Thanks, keep up the good work. Well, I've heard of this show before. Um, I don't know if Ryan, if you told me about it or somebody else did, but I, I've actually not seen. It. I've also never seen Degrassi, which I keep waiting for that to come up as a DVD shelf, and it's it never has. Well, it's because um, it's massive. Well, I suppose. You couldn't do a DVD shelf of it. It's like, it's it, it has gone on forever. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you know about Esau Scythe? I do know. Um, I remember seeing some advertisements for it um, when I was watching uh, Hot Wives of Orlando. And uh, it looked interesting, but like so many things on Hulu, I immediately forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's so easy, at least for me, still to forget that Hulu is a place that has original stuff. And that's yeah. despite having watched certain shows there weekly. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that is one. I mean, in theory, on paper, sounds great, Ryan. Uh, I haven't made the time for it to catch up with it and kind of get a sense of the show. But what you're describing sounds super fun. I know people love Degrassi. <laughs> so uh, if that's, you know, should I also be more familiar with Degrassi, Noel? I'm only passingly familiar with Degrassi in that I know Node exists and I've seen like a handful of episodes from the different versions, but I've never watched it in any real consistent fashion. Well, I never, I never got into teen shows until into my late twenties. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I was an actual teenager, I was really snobby and was just like, oh, you watched Dawson's Creek. Well, I watched the West Wing. I was that kid. Oh, uh, weren't we all? The- Actually, I watched the West Wing. I didn't, I watched some Dawson's Creek but no yeah. I, I, I was a similar shockingly yeah. shockingly, shockingly. I, I have been pretentious <laughs> for a very long time uh, we also heard from Mario who says I know you don't watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills but I love Connie Britton as Faye Resnick who I hate on American Christ Rate Mario hates I should say I have very few thoughts on the actual Faye Resnick um, glad you mentioned Prey I like the British dramas <laughs> Brit, Brit dramas or Brahmas uh, it's an entertaining portmanteau there Mario nice filler until Orphan Black are we we excited about its return we should also mention um that orphan black when it returns will be airing on thursdays not on saturdays as bbc america expands out um and uh, the american crime was amazing with the interviews was taylor going to shoot the principal or just have to be waiting for her he has mixed opinions um so a couple different things there uh first of all uh brahma's sure why not <laughs> and uh, are we are you excited about orphan black coming back no 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 I'm no, sort of mixed. Um, I love Maslani and Jordan Gavaris and some of these other people as well. Um, but I just have been so underwhelmed by much of the last few seasons. It's been diminishing returns. I was lukewarm on season one. Mm-hmm. And so steadily the show just kept declining. And I really did not care about anything that happened in season three. So I'll probably watch the premiere of season four. But then I'm just going to be like, I'm done. I'm good. Because the show was never really like clicked in for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't need a fourth season to go, oh, I don't need to watch another show that's really not clicking in for me. Okay. I think, yeah. I think, I mean, right now I'm not planning to review it week to week as I did yeah. over at Pop Optic the past few uh, seasons. So I think that will really, really help. Um, sure. But, because I'm definitely more of a fan of it than, than you are. But what tends to happen for me these last few seasons is there are certain elements of the show that, and certain characters, certain arcs that are really, really working for me, very much connecting. And of course, you know, I love a lot of the performances and the dynamics between the characters. Uh, but it, yeah, it's been a little frustrating that after what for me was a very successful season one, um, it, it never quite, I think, has delivered on the promise of it. It's like, this is season no, one. Wait hasn't. till it gets into gear. Wait till it really finds its footing and improves on all that. But I don't know that it has. 
No, it really hasn't. And I think the big part that I realized during season three was I really just want to show about Allison. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of all I want. Because that was, that was the only part of season three I actively enjoyed. Oh, but what about Helena and the Scorpion? Come on. Oh, no. Blasphemy, no. sir. Okay, what about American Crime? I do think he was, Taylor was waiting and he was going to shoot the principal if she was there. Yeah. Um, who knows if she would have been able to talk him down? If she would have been able to change the situation, seeing as she is very good she, at talking? She's so, as, as we found out this week, she's super good at it. <laughs> yeah, that could have made things go very different way. But yeah. um, the plan, I think, he was definitely intending. Yes. Yeah. But um, anyways, we're going to talk more about American Crime uh, later in the podcast. For now, we should get going into our weekend TV because there's, there's a lot of TV to cover. So we will take a break and be right back and come back right after this with our week in comedy. I'm straight up malicious, a verbal curb stomper. Since we were toddlers, I've studied every chink in your armor. And between your folks' divorce and that haircut on you, I'm really not sure which one's the bigger Shonda. Disgrace. I'm translating for the goys. Our lifelines have been parallel like corduroys, but now we'll see whose bars will prevail in this beef up too hard as nails. She brews from Scarsdale. We've got a conflict of interest. I'm about to give Levine the business. Spitting venomous hate. Penetrating her defenses. It's a jack battle. A what? A Jewish American princess. Rap battle. Daughters of Rivers. Fitting mad flow. Finance from offensive. Too bad, yo. Oh, snap. It's a jack battle rap. That was Jap Battle, uh, which was in this delightful episode, or at least a delightful scene. We'll talk more about the episode uh, later here in our week in comedy. But, but that was in this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, this week in comedy, we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars before diving in with Full Frontal with Samantha B. A little bit of last week tonight talk there as well. We'll talk a little Real O'Neills, which debuted this week on, on ABC. Um, we'll have a little bit of review of that, a little preview of what's to come. I did catch up with the Fuller House pilot, guys. So a little more thoughts on that, a few more thoughts on that. And then Noel's going to take, take it away with the Muppets finale uh, before we both talk Broad City, Game Over, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 35 and crazy ex-girlfriend josh and i go to los angeles um but first up the oscars happened this week we had oscars so white hashtag oscars so white being a significant theme of not just the oscars but like, like the specific the telecast the discussion around it um what were your thoughts about i don't know if you want to get we really want to get into all the politics of this but did you have any specific thoughts going into the oscars relating to the that controversy and how did that affect the night you only watched the monologue, but what did you think of, of the way that Chris Rock took that on? Well, I think the way Rock took it on was really deft for a guy who wants to keep working in Hollywood because he couldn't he couldn't burn everything to the ground. So instead, he was just like, "Okay, this is kind of bad, but people protesting are kind of weird too, right?" And then he segue into basically burning it to the ground but in a way that he could do it by not like totally burning it but like at least lighting it on fire a little bit by explaining well hollywood is racist isn't like burning a cross on the lawn racist but it's sorority racist which is a terrific way of framing it and so i thought he did a really deft job of balancing the needs to be funny balancing the needs to keep working and balancing the needs to make sure that his audience in the theater itself wasn't like 
uncomfortable to the point where they're just like, please don't pan a reaction shot to me. Please don't pan a reaction shot to me type of mentality, uh, even though I'm sure that happened at some point. But yeah, so no, it was um, it was a really deft monologue. Um, sadly, from what I understand, things kind of went downhill with um, some Asian kids and yeah, the, yeah, and uh, which just demonstrates how um, other ethnicities tend to be excluded from these type of type of discussions. And yeah, so it was kind of a probably a weird night. But again, I only watched the monologue and then was just went. I'm going to watch The Walking Dead because I told Kate I was going to watch The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was interesting. And this is something that I tweeted out is that I didn't love the subtext of some of what uh, Rock was saying. Parts yeah. of it, uh, I thought, I mean, just as far as personal politics go, I was, a lot of it I was agreeing with. So that helps. And that I'm always aware of that when we get to, you know, political comedy or uh, comedy with very specific social topics at its core. Um, how much is that affecting it? But I, I really liked the approach, like you said, the approach that he took. So when he's talking about how the reason people are protesting the Oscars is because they don't have anything better to protest, that's very, very odd to me in the you know in in the current landscape of Black Lives Matter, especially when he later in the telecast specifically referenced black kids getting shot a lot. And then ended the telecast saying Black Lives Matter. So that was very strange to me. Also, uh, he showed some awareness of gender issues with um, saying, why do we have best male actor and best female actor when there's no reason for that? It's because women don't get enough respect in acting categories. So that's why we have that. But then he was you know, commenting on Ask Her More and how women dress up so that's why they get as opposed to women are required to yeah make themselves beautiful for this socially and men can just wear any tux and that's totally socially like so there's some stuff that he just really did not seem very aware on uh and like for example not mentioning any minority that wasn't women or african americans and then bringing out the the adorable baby Asian kids with their tiny briefcases, which were so cute. Um, yeah, so so they were being so deft and so aware and so biting in a, such a smart way on the lack of representation of African-Americans, but not mentioning Latinos once. It, it, was, it, was, so it was a little back and forth for me. But on the whole, I really liked the way the show kept coming back to it. I think that was really smart. So it wasn't just an opening monologue. It was a theme throughout the evening. Um, some of the bits they did were, I thought, very effective and really fun. Um, the <laughs> Putting uh, him in the role of the Martian uh, and, and, and Whoopi Goldberg talking about a mop with <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence. Like some of these other things that were it was a fun way to, to take on some of the popular... Uh, like bits that happened at the Oscars. Um, and on the whole, I mean, it was way too long. The show was way it's, too long. It's the Oscars. Of course it was. It was like three and a half hours, man. I had an hour drive when it finished. Cause I watched it with my family and then had to drive home. So mm -hmm. I was feeling it by the end, but it was an entertaining telecast on the whole, on the whole. So, uh, I guess hats off to Chris Rock and I would love to see him host again. I don't know if he'll be offered it, but it would be nice. I mean, based on the monologue, it would probably... It, I don't see a reason for them not to offer it again. I mean, if the Globes are willing to go back to Ricky Gervais... 
Yeah, which needs to stop happening. But, you know, the way we mentioned the reaction in the room, I loved the awkward pans of the audience, yeah. which and, and just kind of being aware of when they stopped happening. Because that yeah. very distinctly, at a certain point in the monologue, they're like, okay, no more cutting back to the audience. We're just going to yeah. hold on rock the whole time. Uh, that was pretty entertaining. Um, but, yeah, it, it, speaking of um, awkward reactions and political commentary i guess let's let's move on to our next show and that's full frontal with samantha b back when this premiered we said we would uh chime in with some thoughts when it you know we had been on for a little bit and we had more of a sense of the show and i don't know about you Noel, but for me i feel like i have a strong sense of the show now and i love it um great i'm really happy to hear that yeah how are you feeling about full frontal Oh, well, I mean, if you'll remember, I was pretty on board with the first episode. And um, so the 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 following weeks just really emphasized just how strong the voice of the show was for me. And I think that's really where the show has shined in a lot of ways, is that it's really carved out a voice that's similar to Oliver's and Last Week's Tonight, which helps based on their once-a-week format. But also it's distinct from Oliver's particular type of outrage and fist shaking. And I think that's that's really important as a form of differentiation between the two. But it's just been really, really sharp um, comedy and satire. And the field segments have been really consistently amazing. Um, which have been, which were segments that uh, B was trumpeting before the show started. And they've delivered pretty much every week for me. And so it's been really, really great. I've been really happy with the show. Um, but I'm happier that you were in on the show. And are you still feeling bad about the set? No, I. she feels <laughs> so much more comfortable. Because mm-hmm. what I did is I kind of let it build up on the DVR. And then I watched yeah. the rest of them this week. Okay. Uh, and it was wonderful. It made yeah. me wish it could be. A, I know they can't do it. If, if it was a nightly show, it would be a very different show. Yes. Um, so I understand that. But letting it build up on the DVR and then just like blasting through them all was wonderful. But she seems so much more comfortable. And the show seems so much more comfortable, um, mm-hmm. I think, in in the deskless, I guess, area or realm yeah. that, than it did in the, in the premiere. And that could just be like, you know, nerves and any of those, you know, first sure. show jitters or anything like that. I, and maybe it's just I'm more comfortable with it now. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, I, you, you speak to the the voice of the show, and she's doing the same kind of investigative, investigatory journalism as Oliver. But she's just she's just pissed off, and she's gonna be sarcastic and kind of bitchy, and she doesn't care what you think of her. And I love it so yeah. much. And and like you say, the field segments, what they allow her to do, which is unique. And so, therefore, so much more powerful is they allow her to say, this is what the bullshit is surrounding, for example, um, reaction to Syrian refugees. And this is why I I think this. And here are some facts and some figures to back it up. And you know what? Then I went to fucking Jordan and the Middle East and talked to actual Syrian refugees. And I'm backing. It is not. I didn't send somebody else. This is me. This is my point of view. This is my show and this is how I feel and I know way more about this than you do because you know what I actually went to the part of the world where this is happening and interviewed and talked to actual people that are living this I didn't just read some stats I didn't just send somebody else I went and talked to the people who decide which refugees get to go places 
Um, right. And that just gives it so much more power. The different topics she's, t- you know, gone through, I think, have all been really great. Um, and I, again, it's it's hard to really, for me, separate some of the approach of the show and the politics of the show. Um, so she's very aware of of how women are perceived in the media, how her gender has affected her career trajectory. And I kind of love that she's like, yeah, you know what? If I go for the, the uh, confident female host thing, it's easy for me to get just labeled as bitchy or as abrasive or these other things. But I don't care. This is how I feel. This is me. And I'm going to make this so funny and so informative and so well-researched that you can't argue. Um, and you can't reduce what I'm saying without showing your bias. So I, I, at least that's, I, I'm really loving it. I, I, I love a person who's just pissed off about something and has a distinct point of view, like you said, and is, again, not just spewing rhetoric, but backing it up every step of the way. Yeah. And I think the other thing for me is um, we're kind of like, differs for me from last week tonight is even though last week tonight and oliver have elements of this um full frontal feels more like an activist investigative approach whereas last week tonight feels more educational right it's more of an op-ed type of situation a well-reasoned op-ed but full frontal's more activist oriented even though again he as we'll discuss in a minute has an activist bent and he always has, but it's kind of, it's a different type of activist vent and tone than what B and her team are doing on full frontal. And I think that's really significant and really, really great to watch how that plays out. So her doing a segment like this week with the Texas uh, state legislature member who was just like, yeah, no, the, these, these rules for abortion clinics totally make sense. Do you know anything about how abortions work, sir? No. And it's just like... <laughs> There you go. It feels That's... like early Daily Show, but pe- before people figured out that they were kidding, you know, like yes. Decision Two Thousand. Yeah, yeah. Because the no. show's so new, they don't, they can't watch a bunch of clips of her before yeah. they did these interviews. Yes, and I think that's really, I think that's really significant. And I also think that Full Frontal, and especially the past couple of weeks, have really reaffirmed the fact that this is exactly what her version of the Daily Show probably would have ended up being. Yeah. And boy, it would have been awesome. Central missed the boat on that. <laughs> Even though, again, I don't think she would have been able to do this every week, every day. Yeah. I think it would have, like, fallen into some sort. It would have had, she would have, she would have been able to do this on, like, a Monday or Tuesday episode and then something else for the other remaining days. But this has been really solid and really great. And I'm, I really hope TBS is just like, wow, this is. I don't know what the ratings are, but I hope TBS has been like, this is really positive. We want more of this. Well, they're rebranding, right? So rebrand yeah. behind this and Angie Tribeca yeah. and the detour looks good. I'm looking forward to it coming out. Uh, if that, if this is where the network is really looking to steer into hell. Yeah. yeah. And it helps that Kevin Riley's willing to take risks. I mean, yeah. he's, he's burning. He basically burned down TNT to re both networks, basically to rebuild them. Mm-hmm. And that I'm hoping that because of his sort of maverick attitude that he'll give this another shot. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll mention, the the boys want the girls want to be her. The boys want to be her. 
Love it. <laughs> Love that opening intro. Um, yeah. But uh, let's move on to our next show, which is last week tonight. Um, just for mentioning it quickly, uh, had to love the make Donald Trump again. Yeah. I, I thought it was fine, but um, like, I don't know if we talked about it earlier or if I talked about it with someone else or at some point. It was just like he had decided. Yeah, no, we talked about it last week. Uh, he had decided not to talk about the election until it was like really pressing. And now he's just like he's jumping. I don't want to say he's jumping on the stop Donald Trump bandwagon, but he's jumping on. Oh, the... yeah. No, definitely. And it's like much like the Republican Party. It's too little too late to stop him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like he, I feel like he start he kicked off the stop Donald Trump bandwagon that really yeah. kicked into gear this this week after Super Tuesday. Uh, yeah. So it's been a very strong theme of the week, I would say. Right. Yeah. But, but no. It's... It's too late. <laughs> yeah. This is if you wanted to do that. Like, maybe they were trying to influence Super Tuesday voters. And that's why, because the, the timing seemed very specific that it happened, came out two days before Super Tuesday. But that's not enough time. It's not enough time. And also, frankly, last week's Tonight audience probably wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump. Anymore. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's that. Um, and it was fun. I, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. Well, it, it didn't make any difference. It's not going to make any difference. But it's it was not. entertaining television. It was very entertaining. I will give it that. Yeah. But it's just like, this is kind of like the flip side of what I was talking about with Frontal, where it's just like, oh, this is a good activist bent and a point of view. It's just, you should have done this a little bit sooner. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to our next show. I'm going to keep things moving this week, hopefully. Our next show is The Real O'Neills, which debuted this week on ABC. Um, I've seen the first two or three. You've seen the first three. Um, yes. What did you... I'm curious what, if you had any thoughts about this movie. Because it seems much more traditional of a, of a family sitcom than some of the other ones have been. Not really as underrepresented a group as far sure. as, you know, the the white, you know, Irish Catholic family. I right. feel like we've probably seen that on TV before. Then well, again, we just had it last last season with that CBS multicam sitcom that I can't remember. That's basically the exact same thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't know how specifically we've seen religious Catholics yes. on TV, but um, but anyway, so I, I don't know if you had any thoughts going into it, and I'm curious how these first three then would have affected that if if it lived up to or under. Perform. I didn't really have any expectations about this, um, even apart from mostly just going, oh, Martha Plumpton's back on TV. Yay. <laughs> that was basically my reaction because she's amazing and wonderful. Uh, but no, I actually, I really enjoyed the first three that I watched. I thought it got progressively stronger as it went along, which is a good sign, I think. Um, and they've really zeroed in on the middle son's voice really, really well. Um, he's easily the most well-developed, um, and this, the drops to his, uh, dream sequences are great, and the actor has, is totally keyed into the character, like, immediately, which is really reassuring for the show. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm excited about to see where the show goes from here. Um, I think that the use of an Irish Catholic setting, um, family, while, yes, it's not as huge as, say, doing... Uh, a Chinese family on Fresh Off the Boat or Blackish. Um, I think it's still I think it's still slightly bigger than say the Goldbergs and doing a Jewish family. Um, but 
I'm more interested to see how I, I need to see more episodes until I'm really willing to weigh in on that immediately. Mainly because I don't want it to be, oh, Martha Plimpton's character learns tolerance. And I don't need that every week. And I don't want that every week. Um, but I'd like to see an or- more organic development on that. And also people really coming around to how she sees things, too, every now and then. So that's going to be really important balance to strike, given the religious nature of the show. But yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty interested in it. And I, I I actually really I really like the first three. How how are you feeling about this? Well, I went into it with low expectations because it just the the ads I'd been seeing the like the write ups and things just seemed very much like oh well it's about a family who's who's conservative and they find out one of the kids is gay wacky yeah. there's not been a great track record of those sitcoms yeah. recently. There's been a number of them. But yes. they've not had a good track record. No. But I was very, I was pleasantly surprised then with the pilot, and then I later watched the next two, and like you said, each one gets quite a bit better, I think. Yeah. And that's not unexpected in a sitcom for it to improve, but usually that's by like episode six, episode yes. eight, where they get some time to tinker with it and figure out what works. The fact that it improves um, quite a bit from each episode to the next uh, is very promising as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that I'll keep up with it every week, but it's one that I expect I'll kind of check in on every now and again. And when y'all tell me it's amazing, I will be able to, you know, I won't be super surprised and we'll be able to, to kind of catch back up and, and live with it. What about you? Do you think this is a week to week for you? Uh, more than likely for the foreseeable future. Um, mainly because I, I need like more half hour sitcoms in my life because mm-hmm. I don't really have enough. And I, I'm always really curious to see ABC building this kind of how it continues to build its family perspective sitcom because most of their really great sitcoms right now are all family singular perspective type oriented stuff. And I think that's really interesting for them to keep building that out. Yeah. And, and that there are much uh, less interesting ways you could build, build your network. You know, there, there, yeah. there's, it's, it's, it's neat to see some of these different shows then have to either struggle for topics that the other ones haven't done or take yeah. on similar topics and have different perspectives. But more perspectives on TV is the shining beacon of peak TV, the wonderful thing about it. So, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how this show develops. Um, not a shining beacon of peak TV <laughs> is Fuller House. And you're right, this is so weird. The pilot, Isn't it though? Oh my god, everything that you said last week, the pilot of this is the pilot of Full House, and the way I can tell, like you said, is because they play the pilot of Full House. It's so strange. But what what I'll give it, you know, because it did just get picked up for a second season. Um, yes. Quicker than Jessica Jones did in Angry Fish Shake. Yeah, oh yeah, so <laughs> much quicker. But what I found interesting about this, and I think this is a credit to Fuller House and the tone that they managed to convey is that this feels like the same show, which is clearly what they were going for. But there have been a lot of shows that have been going for like a 90s sitcom feel over the past several years, and most of them have not worked. And not actually... They've they've felt dated and um, not funny, and they didn't connect to that warm, gooey center that we're looking for, of of family togetherness that we're looking for in a 90s sitcom. So I think of something like uh, the Michael J. Fox show, Sean Saves the World, um, and some of these other, you know, very 90s trying, you know, attempting to to feel 90s. Even The Odd Couple. The Odd Couple. In a lot of ways. Oh, man. Remember how Partners is a thing that aired? I actually watched a couple episodes of that. Yeah. Um, So so while I'm not interested in Fuller House, um, 
they actually managed to capture the feel of Full House without feeling just like this Frankenstein, which it easily could have. Well, it is. It's just not cobbled together from new parts. It's the same parts, just reanimated. Yeah, but you, we all know. We've all seen enough movies. We know that the, that reanimation process can go horribly <laughs> awry. That's true. If you want to watch more Full House, congratulations. There's Fuller House. I yeah. don't want to watch more Full House, but people I'm sure do. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, some credit here because it could have gone so wrong, but they at least achieved what they were striving for. So... Uh, that's where I'm at with, with Fuller House. Now, talking about achieving what they're striving for, The Muppets has had an interesting first season, uh, and it had its finale this week. I didn't realize it was the finale. I will be catching up with it and, and giving some thoughts next week. How, uh, apparently, they've been re re uh, shaping the show, retooling yeah. the show. Um, how how did how have they been doing, and what did you think of the finale? Um, the finale was fine, um, and the retooling has been interesting because the idea was basically, oh, right, we have all these really great Muppets and characters, but we're not really using them as an ensemble, and that was always one of the weirder things about the Muppets in the first half. It was just like, you guys have these really great characters. They should be interacting with one another way more than they are, and you should do less office politics. And so the, the other characters, like, really come to the forefront recently and even there's a there's a number of like meta jokes about the show bringing that the network in the show brings in a marketing consultant to help them reshape the show and they chafe against it but they also like acknowledge the fact that they're bringing the idea to rebrand miss piggy's show is to bring the entire cast and crew onto the show more often acknowledging the fact that they need to bring the muppets themselves to the forefront and that's really that's really funny and like miss piggy goes but wait that means less of me and so it was like this kind of sly awareness of what they're doing and as as this retooling was going on it was just went oh this is the muppet show i kind of wanted from the beginning and that that was really reassuring and then it just ended this week kind of like Suddenly, like, I didn't know that it was ending this week either until I saw a couple of ads for it. And I just went, oh, okay. Well, I'll catch up then real quick. Because I had, I had like, four episodes sitting on the DVR. So I caught up. And I was just like, oh, this was really good. Oh, it's over. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, when you watch it, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts about it. Because I knew that you were pretty disappointed with it um when it started off this season and i was very lukewarm about it yeah oh i was more positive than a lot of people uh, okay. i was just kind of like yeah it's fine um it's not yeah. great but it's fine um there's stuff that works it doesn't but the the reactions to the muppets continues to be one of the more interesting stories of, of 2015 like the fall tv for me because yeah. i had a different guest on the podcast as a co-host every week and almost that was like the one show that everybody wanted to talk about and everybody had a different mm -hmm. opinion on so um i look forward to, to i'm just gonna jump to the finale and see how it you, goes yeah it's a two-part finale so watch the, la the the two episodes that aired this week and you'll be fine Okay, so more on that next week, but now we're going to move on to Broad City Game Over, and uh, we just have to just bask in the fabulousness of Vanessa Williams here at the top of, of this, this show, because damn, she was killing it. She was so great, and that is exactly how I would imagine Alana Glazer reacting to Vanessa Williams in real life. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so it was fantastic. Um, yeah, no, it was really, really funny. And they're continuing just to get really great guest stars. And then they had Whoopi Goldberg on for a really random sister act. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because it's not just the guests that they get on, it's how yeah. they use them. How, I mean, how they use the guests, yeah. And, and using Vanessa Williams to be just fabulous and, like, you know, dream board version of Alana, you know, like, it just works so well. And and probably my favorite thing about this, I like the stuff that they gave Abby to do as well. I yes. thought that worked well and there was lots of you know, fun uh, uh, fitness, I guess, related humor. But I love that they showed Alana actually being really good and creative with Twitter. Yes. And showing that, no, she can be really good at certain things. You just have to find the right niche. Uh, Who knows if that'll come back. If that'll, I would love that that tied into the next job she finds herself in when she, I imagine that'll take a while. But, um, but I loved how she was completely inappropriate with the Twitter feed, but also kind of, you know, funny. It it was good. (laughs) It was, it was very believable that she got fired, but it also was believable that she, she could be really good at this. Yeah, and I think that the idea of the, col- the the horse fucking was probably a little too far, but it <laughs> just a little bit too far. Um, so yeah, no, but I think the other thing that I really keyed in on with it was that it dealt with her job, which has always been like something that like recurs enough that it's enough of a presence. But I just like the fact that her coworkers are so happy she's gone. <laughs> And I thought that was a really big moment to, like, kind of acknowledge that Alana can be, like, a lot to deal with. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And not in the sense that she's a lot to deal with generally, because, I mean, she's a very big personality. But just that she's a big personality that not everyone can respond to, especially apparently people in their late 20s and mid 30s. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I really enjoyed that. But I also, like you said, I really enjoyed the Abby stuff because it was nice to see Abby be really confident and being successful as a trainer and being accepted within the trainer circle at Solstice, which I thought was really, really great. And to see that development, even if she is doing like, senior citizen pool stuff (laughs) but i thought that that they got some okay jokes even if it's a gross old man being dirty joke again which i mean but so i thought it was overall a really solid episode yeah and uh we will be leading out of this segment with that delightful musical number from broad city i i'm always gonna love a musical number uh so taking us into i mean especially as we leave that job taking us into that i can't remember her name that shows how effectively they captured that character uh the the memory of of alana's really beleaguered co-worker uh or the the, the imagination i should say of, yeah. of, of her co-worker was very effective and uh yeah well done another delightful broad city um speaking of delightful we have like just hardcore love triangle again on on Jane the Virgin how'd you feel about the follow-up to last week's big Michael moment um pretty solid I thought um yeah I think that's basically my response is that it was just all around pretty solid this week um and I was glad to see like some actual confrontation coming through with um Raphael and being like no I'm 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 really not okay with this at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he he couldn't win either way. Like, he couldn't use Petra as a backup or a fallback. And Petra was just like, no, I'm, I'm not having this. Even though I want this, I don't want it this way. 
which I think is a really important distinction for her to make and important distinction for the show to make for her. And so, yeah, I was pretty on board with everything this week. Um, I was less on board with the stalker slash assistant, even if it was telegraphed pretty clearly to us. I'm not particularly excited to see this playing out in the next episode, but okay. I mean, it's a good way for them to get some of their telenovela stuff in when the remaining telenovela stuff is Crime Lords and the Romantic Triangle, which is already the show's bread and butter. How did you feel? Well, it's just good that they're doing a, something else, like without Mucha, yeah. without like they're they're. It's good that they're finding drama in other places. So that's yeah. the main thing for me. Um, I'm not looking forward to watching Rahelia have to deal with this, or I, yeah. you know, how the show's gonna walk that line with having it be creepy but funny. I think that'll yeah. be challenge. I think they went very heavy on the creepy with yes. the way the episode ended. Um, so they'll have to walk that back a bit. Um, yeah. if they want to sustain this storyline for a while. Um, but I, you know, I think they did a pretty good job of handling Luis's drinking in this episode. Yes. Um, that's another potentially very tricky. I think that they, they got some com- comedy out of it, but they also did not paint it as comedic or funny because of the way they have Jane reacting and Gina Rodriguez performance, um, in, in reacting to everything. I thought it kept that in a, in a good space. And, uh, yeah, I, hopefully, again, like I said last week, hopefully we will be getting something new with Raph because uh, we need it. Um, yeah. and, and to be from an honest and real place, not from a exaggerated, heightened storyline place. So yeah. that's my only question and about that. He appears to be backsliding into his Playboy type of way. Mm-hmm. Which will be interesting to see, because we haven't really seen him as a playboy. We've yeah. seen, like, instances of it in flashbacks, especially this season, a lot, mm-hmm. uh, when we've learned about Petra. But it'll be interesting to see him fall back into that cycle and what that cycle means for him as a co-parent, I think, will be really interesting and in how Jane responds to that idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, Raphael was introduced as a very sexual person. Yes, who hasn't had sex for a long time now? Yeah, a long time. And for it's one thing for Jane. Raphael, practically the virgin. Yeah, there's a one. It's a one thing for Jane to make that choice for herself, but for Raph to make that choice for himself out of an attempt to woo Jane, you know, like that's. I I hope that we we get more exploration of that and not just yeah. a bunch of judgment because the show has been very open-minded and not judgy about different character sexuality and and the, their way of expressing that so yeah. I, I look forward to you know some of the realities of that because i mean dude this is a very sexual person who has not gotten laid in a long time so you know what yeah maybe some of his backsliding is not a great idea but let the guy have some fun too, you know? He doesn't need to be tortured all the time. Yeah, I agree. So, anyways, that is speaking of torture all the time. That that is Jane the Virgin. Oh, but wow. Hard crazy... segue. Well, but crazy ass girlfriend, Josh and I go to Los Angeles. Uh, Greg, poor Greg in this episode. And I, I, I really liked this episode, but I, I really have a hard time with it as well because too much yeah. stuff happens. Because it's the finale, theoretically. Originally, based on the episode order, this would have been the finale. And it ends very finale-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, like, a huge fan. Um, Mainly because I felt like, like we talked about last week, is, like, we were both 
very much um, Rebecca be a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not okay. And not and then this week was just like, oh yeah, no, but look how confident and great she is, and now both of the guys want her, and it's just, oh, we're gonna back away from the crazy train. Okay, show. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Because I was like very, but, 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 <laughs> about well, I, it. Well, I think that the show, she's still in the same headspace, as far as I'm concerned, in this episode. I don't think they made her, I, I don't think they negated that. And I think what they're trying to go for is this idea that Greg sees all of that and still accepts her, whereas josh doesn't see that because she's been lying to him so i think the the character that i'm actually the most frustrated about the handling of is josh in this episode as soon as they they have him say trust me to his long-term live-in girlfriend and then go he cheats on her yeah in the same episode that's not that's not josh chan yeah so i and that happens because it's the finale and you know in theory and that's not a good enough reason. So I actually was really kind of disappointed. We just like we have Greg, you know, decide that he you know is in love with uh, Rebecca and and Heather super cool about. It. I mean, I, stuff with Heather I think kind of does fit with her character. But yes. but it's it's very much go run to her and this comes to a head now because finale and that's that's right. not that's not a good look on any show. No, and I think that's kind of the key because, I mean, Heather had made a big thing about this is pretty serious for me, but I'm going to drop it because you're clearly still in love with her. And I just went, uh, wait, no, we just had like a small-ish arc about him not being an idiot. And now we're okay with him being an idiot. (laughs) Well, and she should be more hurt based on the other stuff they showed. Like her being like... I love the confidence of, I don't want to be your second choice, which I think fits with her and makes sense. And I loved, of course, the, again, when they do reprises on the show, it works so well. So well. That's a big part of what makes musical theater work. Like these moments in musical theater work is tying the emotional journeys throughout, you know, an entire show or in this case, an entire season. It's very, very effective. Um, Nice to see her actually get to sing too. Yes. Um, It sounded fabulous. But um, no, that was my main hesitation with this. Um, now, the stuff about it that I really enjoyed was also full-circle finale stuff. So we get Audrey Levine showing up because it's the finale. And even just the, the haircut and the suit and everything, I loved all of that showing where yes, where Rebecca started. Yeah, and where, she, where she's, you know, now at 13 episodes later. I thought that stuff worked really, really well. Um, and I look forward to our next chunk of episodes and how things are going to play out. But, yeah. Um, yeah, too many contrivances for me this week. Yeah, but on the other hand, we got the Jap rap battle. Which was awesome. <laughs> which was amazing. Yeah. I didn't really care for the Les Mis thing that much. Yeah. Too, too on the nose, it was, but... It was too on the nose. And we should also mention, like, there was more progression with um, Daryl and White White, White Josh. Yeah, which was, was nice. It, which was really great. And I like the fact that it wasn't Daryl trying to be, like, hiding it really by wanting to be in LA. I just read that as he was going to be in LA. <laughs> uh, I think there was some of that, but I think there also yeah. was some of what I, I like the way that way Josh says like, I'm not going to push you out of the closet, but I'm yeah. not going back in the closet. either. I think that was, it takes a, you know, more complicated or nuanced approach to something, which yeah. I'm always for nuance. 
Um, yeah. So, so yeah, no, I, I, that was stuff also was was good. Yeah, but I don't think he was actively trying, like, let's hide away. But I think he also, yeah. he's still new to all this. He's still figuring himself out. Yeah. So, I, yeah. you know, we, we continue to be invested in, in Daryl yes. and White Josh. <laughs> yeah. Well, what wins your week in comedy? Uh, Full Heart Told uh, this week was just really sharp and really strong. And we talked a lot about, like, needing a voice in comedy this week. And I think of everything having a strong voice. It's Full Frontal. What wins your week? I'll give it to Full Frontal, too. It was the most fun. I Like, with an honorable mention to, to last week tonight, because I did really enjoy that that full episode. But, um, no, I got it. I mean, Broad City was great. Had a lot of fun with Jane and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, too. But just the, the righteous fury of full frontal this week correct her yeah was wonderful now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama joyful joyful lord we adore thee god of glory lord of This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk about the Agent Carter finale, Hollywood ending, the Shannara Chronicles finale. I'll have a few thoughts on that, El Cris, uh, before we talk some Walking Dead knots on Ty. Then uh, in drama, we'll talk a little bit about The Family, uh, Happen Leonard, premiered on Sundance. And then we have American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, The Race Card, and we'll round things out with American Crime, Season 2, Episode 9. Genre fans, never you fear, we have many thoughts on The 100. Uh, we both have many thoughts, but... Uh, only one of us has been able to watch it so far, so we are going to hold on that until next week. There will be a lot of discussion next week. Uh, yes. But now, let's move on to Agent Carter and, and talk about this, uh, the finale. How do you feel about this episode and, and, and the season, season two as a whole? Um, so great is my answer okay. to a yeah. lot of it. Um, I mean, not like as, I don't, I don't think I liked it as much as last season. Um, just because I think some of it's just the novelty of last season, but a lot of it was also just, I, I was still like weighed down by the need to like establish Hydra, I guess, in, even though that really faded away towards the end, which was nice. But I loved Whitney Frost, um, and I loved just the dynamics that she brought to the show. I loved the late season guest casting of Ken Marino. Just being like full on tilt gangster, but really funny about it. And so it was just one of those things that just kind of leveled the playing field for me. And But I, I like this as a finale. Um, I was talking with a couple of friends of mine about it. And one of the things I said to them is that I like how kind of cheap and cheesy the special effects on this show look because it totally works for the show. And I think that was one of my favorite things was watching Sousa try not to get sucked into this 
black hole type thing. And they're just like hanging on to the rope. And I'm just like, this is so silly. And I love it. But there's plenty of other stuff. Like Howard came back this week. And I always love when Howard's on the show. Because he just brings this screwball comedy energy to everything. uh, That infects Jarvis. That infects Peggy. And just like Jarvis and Howard poking their heads out of the um, car in sync. It's just the best thing. Um, so no, I really, I really enjoyed it. Did, I know that you've been, like, really cool about the Wilkes romance, so were you happy at the end when it was just like, okay, Sousa, kiss my face. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, I liked Wilkes, and I felt a spark (laughs) with him in the finale. That's what it took. And, you know, I do think a significant part of it is that he's tangible. And it's something you had mentioned very early in our discussion of the season, that he's been intangible or actively acting as as a oppositional force for yeah. this season. So when he was tangible um, for the last few episodes, he was co- collaborating basically with Whitney and all messed up because the the X matter Black matter the the bad goo <laughs> the, the black oil. Um, but um, so so watching him getting to see him without that influence, while the show also does not negate his choices. And does mm-hmm. not give him an excuse for, um, does not give him an easy out for some. And he doesn't want one either, which is the other really nice thing. Yeah, absolutely, and it, that speaks a lot to his character, um, yeah. and and to the you know I think that's really good writing there. So I liked that, and it also I think maybe helps that she's more like, yeah, I like you, but I don't like you that much, because yeah. that I think that took off some of the pressure of the dynamic whereas mm-hmm. she was supposed to be all like longing glances and everything earlier in the season and that didn't feel very peggy so um yeah i i finally am on board uh with the two of their energy but only in the last episode um so i, I this is another sort of like crazy ex-girlfriend oh it's the finale so time for finale things to happen like howard's back yeah. with no explanation or build up and everything is coming to a head because we realize we don't have any more episodes um but i think that works more because of the screwball tone of this episode and because of so much the tone of so much of the season that it it, i'm cool with it you know um i've liked the season quite a bit more than the previous season Mm. and uh, i think as fun as the peggy and jarvis like working outside the law kind of thing was in the first season i think they found a way to do it better in this season and um i you know i i think that uh like we said whitney frost was fantastic and really great camarino like you said was a lot of fun in the the back half of the show but um i think just the the energy and tone of the show and of peggy watching her get to interact with these different figures and the more they played into the screwball energy the will they won't they with Souza, i think had uh, a lot of really um good moments and then when you add in howard so somebody who is not trying to be a love interest that that helps with that that um energy as well and that that rat attack kind of back and forth because he is so stylized Right, but he also he 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 doesn't want a relationship with everyone. He just wants he just wants to sex up and flirt everyone. Like, yeah, he's flirting with Rose, and I'm yeah. so happy he was flirting with Rose. Oh yeah, just like Fabulous. this is so good. Well, well, and just to have you know to have it be like it's like oh no, Stark would totally tap that absolutely. Yeah. Like he thinks she's awesome too. He just loves women. Like yeah. All, all, all women. Yeah. I also really like the way that they uh, 
work in Wilkes at the end where he's going to go off and, and work with Howard. I think that's, that's a neat way to, to send yeah. that character off. That makes sense. Um, also Peggy and Jarvis and, and, and I mean, just like they, they did so much of the season that was smart. And big thing was the way that they handled Anna uh, and, and really Anna and, and introduced her to the story and complicated and, at the same time, simplified the the Peggy and Jarvis relationship by introducing Anna. Uh, yeah. There's so much to like, and I really hope it gets another season. I, I completely understand if it doesn't, because it has terrible, terrible ratings. And even they... even Facekiss, when asked by Entertainment Weekly about its chances, she was just like, "Bad." Yeah, the only way she was just like, "It's bad." <laughs> the only way it would come back is if Marvel makes like an insane deal with them, because it's an ad for Marvel. To have yeah. it be a thing that exists, but then that could they could do that anywhere. They could do that at Netflix if they wanted. But Haley Atwell and, has a deal somewhere else. She's guys, well, she they, has a deal with ABC. Which they don't makes think a she's coming back, <laughs> or they wouldn't have made that deal. Yeah. So, but no, and Facecus even said that Netflix wasn't likely. Yeah. But that that they're not involved in those decisions. But she was just like Netflix isn't likely either. Yeah. So, so which people, I appreciate that kind of honesty because she yeah. was just like, don't bother. Fan campaign's not going to help. You guys just, no one watched it. And no I'm, one. Ugh. No one watched it. <laughs> terrible taste, people. Come on. <laughs> uh, less terrible taste than, well, you know, I shouldn't say that because I don't know if no one's watching Shannara Chronicles. I just know nobody's talking about it. Uh, the finale aired this week. Uh, at least no one in my bubble. And that was Elcrease. And now that I'm at the end of the season, the my big takeaway with Shannara Chronicles is I think it was solid at what it wanted to be. I just okay. wanted it to be something else. I was hoping okay. it would be something else based on the premiere because, you know, you know, the two of us, we get all excited about our, our uh, D&D references and everything. But yes. I wanted I wanted Manu Bennett's character to be, you know, Alanon to be badass Gandalf who's around for the adventure. But he's not. He's there to stand around and, like, know stuff but not actually go on the adventure. I don't care about the adventure very much. When it's just the, the, you know, the three hot young people deciding what their love triangle is going to be. All that said, I do think that they paid off things really well and it oh, came good. to a head in a nice way in the last couple episodes. But there's several subplots I just don't care about. The setup for the next season with the new villain for season two and everything. I don't, I don't care. Wait, so did they, did they manage to wipe out the demon in his big bubble? Yeah. Ah, oh, well, that was disappointing because he was raising a whole fucking army. Yeah, and they had a big, he had a whole army, and they they went off and they killed a bunch of people, and the army escaped and everything. And did he just like did Will just like blue blast everyone in like a big beam no, thing? No, no, okay, it was well, a, that's good. It was a whole thing, but I mean, it came to a to a head, I think, in a natural way, and then they they that part of the show, I think, on the whole, worked. Okay. Um, and the, the, the dynamic with the, th- the three leads, I think, came together in a nice way and worked. And it just had me wishing that uh, a show on, on MTV could just be cool with, uh, with uh, non-monogamy, basically, or like a three-person relationship. Because uh, mm-hmm. that seems like the clear answer <laughs> to that dynamic. But whatever. Um, that's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, but I, a lot of, I, there's just, this is ten episodes. should have been like six seven um mm-hmm. but i then they can't set up everything in the books and like it would be a very different show if it was that but okay. if i could see this as a one-off quest kind of mini series that is more interesting to me <laughs> if certain storylines are just excised sure. completely but i do think that i mean i would say if if you are still intrigued jump to the last two episodes okay. and watch those um there's a lot of back and forth in the middle that is really unnecessary um but at least 
when I got to the end, I didn't feel like I had completely wasted my time. I just felt like they wasted some, but not all, of my well, 10 hours. That's about what I expect from an MTV series at this yeah. point. So, yeah. Well, what did you think of The Walking Dead, Knots Untied? Now, this is the first episode you've watched in quite a while. Season one finale, yeah. Yeah, so what did you think? Um, well, I watched Knots Untied, but I also watched the episode preceding Knots Untied, um, so I could get a feel for uh, Jesus and the show in general as well after um, not having watched the show. Um, my first big takeaway was like trying to figure out like the show's aesthetics and how it visually tells its story, especially in Knots Untied. Um, I was grappling a lot with the extreme close-ups of Abraham. And going, all right, is this usual for the show? How am I supposed to be reading this? And this Abram storyline feels underdeveloped to me, but is it underdeveloped to anyone else? And I read some reviews, and they just went, yep, kind of coming out of nowhere. Yep, yep. (laughs) And I just went, oh, well, good. Then that means that this show's functioning well enough that you can come in at season whatever this is, six? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And be like, oh, wow, this feels underdeveloped, but I also feel like I'm following it okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I liked it, um, quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of action energy happening right now, which I think helps my being able to get into a groove with it. Um, Xander Berkeley's a walking red flag, so it's like, (laughs) guys, when you're casting the leader of a new camp and it's Xander Berkeley, I know shit's going to go down, (laughs) because it's Xander Berkeley. (laughs) you say that, but, uh... We have Merritt Weaver. We have a, you know, we we've got some significant, you know, recognizable cast in this show. Right, but I'm just saying Xander Berkeley plays slime balls. Oh yeah, that's right. He's gonna be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I understand how he functions. The, the one time he didn't play a dick was in the West Wing when he shows up to be the yes. the billionaire. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So it was just one of those things. But I enjoyed his dynamics with Maggie, um, which took me a minute to sort out because I didn't know Maggie was pregnant. And I didn't know Maggie and Glenn were married. So I was just like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Um, But this idea about there being other camps and other communities, I find really interesting and fascinating. And this idea of trading amongst them, I think is really great. And this idea of Negan running basically a protection racket is really fascinating, I think. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, I really enjoyed the two episodes. Jesus is a terrific character, really fascinating. Um, clearly the true leader of the Hilltop group, but just the one that is just like, it'd be much easier if Xander Berkeley's character was in charge. So we'll just pretend he's in charge and I'll smooth out things as needed. Yeah. So no, I really, I really uh, liked it. But as a veteran of the show and someone who's actually watched it way more than I have, how were you feeling about not, how did you feel about Knots Untied? I thought it worked really well. And like you said, the introduction of these other groups, I think, is handled really well because we've we spent so many seasons going location oh guess what is now the answer it's horribly right new location cannibals cannibals you know like (laughs) i wonder if this is gonna have a rotten core at the center of it you know like because we spent our time with that then when we get to you know when they get to alexandria and that actually is a good place and now we find these other communities that maybe could there could be a future here it we can buy their reticence we can um 
sort of feel that with them of just not necessarily yeah. trusting it. Um, and I think that works well. Uh, I, I like the way they handle um, the Xander Berkeley just kind of being a dick. And so it's not just like, they're all good guys or they're all bad guys. Uh, I think that's that we already have more nuance than we did with say the, the governor's camp in Woodbury where they didn't spend any time making us like anybody, uh, you know, just spend all our time on setting up who their villain was. Um, so having just even between Jesus and the Xander Berkeley character, um, that contrast I think is, is good. Um, them, the, the crew, the group kind of sort of realizing that their big strength is that they're badasses. Was really fascinating to me cool. too. I just, I liked, I liked the act out with, uh, Rick just stabbing that guy and covered up in blood and going, what? And it's yeah. just like. I mean, it's it's a deeply funny moment, but it's also a deeply sad moment, I mm-hmm. think, at the same time. Because he's just, he's so used to this and so into this mentality that he's he doesn't see it as shocking anymore. And everyone else at the Hilltop group is just like, what the f*** did you just do to this guy? And for the, for the people watching, we've had a number of the, oh, Rick's acting crazy, crazy violent, and we're going... Yeah. <gasps> We've we've yeah. done that before, so now when this is we're like, yeah, I'm sorry, he was trying to kill you, so of course you slit his throat. Yeah. So so the audience can be with him, can so the yeah. that comedic moment, you know, that contrast. We can feel the comedy of it, but we can also feel the horror of it at the same time. So I think yeah. you know, this is another example of the the show benefiting from what's come before. Uh, I'm glad that that you're that you're digging it. So you're gonna keep watching? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm at least in for like this little like next bit, I guess, and then we'll see how things go from here. Because I mean, I, I, I understand The Walking Dead's reputation. So. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. fair enough. We'll, we'll have more thoughts on that as the season continues, I'm sure. But for now, uh, let's move on to drama, and that starts with the, the family. Now, how much of this have you seen? Just the pilot. Just the I didn't pilot. watch the second episode. Okay, and what did you think? Um. There's some interesting ideas here, I think. Um, it's a very ABC show. Uh, it's very much an ABC's primetime soap wheelhouse. Um, it's operating very much more along the lines of Secret and Lies than it is about anything in Shondaland, which is fine. Um, but <laughs> it lacks a lot of energy, um, which is to a degree understandable given the situation and the context. But even like, and Corey wrote about this in his review over at TV.com, and I agree with a lot of it, is that just the editing, the staging, the cinematography, music selection, there's no real, like, oomph. There's no real drive to this episode, which is not how you want to start your show off. And some of the stuff is just kind of sloppy. It's just like, wait, so... The DNA was faked, and that's the big twist, but you had his DNA on file, so why is this a big reveal that it was faked? And so this sort of weird conspiracy plot around it, I'm not entirely sure where that's going to go, and I'm also not entirely sure that I care because I don't know that it makes a lot of sense right now. But some of the performances are really good. I mean, no one expected... No one did not expect Joan Allen to be great. No one did not expect Alison Pill to be really good with what she had. And so I like I like a good bit of the cast, though. I was having problems with Rupert Graves not being British. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to come back to this anytime soon. But as an 
as another example of an ABC drama, it's certainly better than Blood and Oil, but that's a very low bar to clear. <laughs> Such a low bar. Blood and Oil was terrible, but it's very much within that Secret and Lies sort of vein. And I think that's fine for ABC. I don't know that it's interesting for ABC, but it's fine for ABC. How did you, how did you, did you watch the second episode as well or just the pilot? I think just the pilot. Okay. Um, and the fact that I'm saying I think just the pilot tells people Isn't how a good sign. Yeah, yeah, how long ago this was because I I, yeah, I have did not watch this this week. I watched this back when the screener went up. Um, okay. and, and the main thing for me with the family is I was much more impressed with the family as like well it's on ABC it's a it's a network show before American Crime was so good. Yeah, and so just what you know if if ABC didn't have American Crime killing it every week and from its first episode of the season, then I would be much more impressed with the family. Um, but for me, those, these are two very performance-driven um, shows tackling difficult issues of, uh, of parenting and of, of complicated uh, like regrets and grief and struggle and everything and how we respond to tragedy. Um, but American Crime's just way better. So, so you know, and, and again, a very talented cast. This is a cast that I have liked pretty much everything I've seen them do on other projects. Not off the map. Who Not the newsroom. To... No, not the newsroom. <laughs> uh, that's not Alison Pill's fault. <laughs> but I've, I've really liked them and many other things. So um, it's a very talented cast. Uh, and they do a good job with most of what they're given. It's just... It's not good enough. I think some of that's the writing um, and and just the storyline that they're going for, the kind of show that they want to be. I would like them to want to be more like American Crime, but I don't think they want to be more like American Crime. And I think your connection to Secrets and Lies is a good one. Um, I'm more interested in the upcoming season of Secrets and Lies based on the episodes I've seen of that than I am of The Family. So this is one that, again, if we weren't in peak TV, if there wasn't so much really good even just network stuff, let alone adding in, you know, cable, then I would make more time for it and give it a longer leash. But right now, this just isn't the time. So I'm not going to watch any more of The Family. But I understand people who are tuning in for this cast or or even just based on the, the mystery angle. I just think that there's probably better shows that they can be watching. And Yeah, yeah. And one of those, for me at least, has happened Leonard on Sundance, which had its premiere this week uh, with another t- cast that I enjoy quite a b- quite a bit. Uh, what did you think of this premiere? Did you like? I didn't even know this was happening until a few weeks ago. I kept forgetting it was happening. Um, I don't, because I I don't know the books. Do you know the books? No, I don't know the books. Um, I think a large part of my problem was I forgot that this was happening consistently, and then Horace and Pete came out, and I <laughs> thought this was Horace and Pete, <laughs> not in the sense of. Oh, Happen Leonard and Horace and Peter are the same show, but they both have names and and and. And I just went, oh, okay, this is what people were talking about. And then I just went, oh no, this isn't what people were talking about. So I got really confused really quickly for a little while. And then if Corey hadn't mentioned the show to me that it was starting this week, I would have totally forgotten about it. Yeah. Now this is nothing like the family at all. But that was just <laughs> a convenient way for me to transition. However, this is more fun. And so, like, this is, for me... I guess. 
I don't know, because there's an element, even just in the way it opens, there's a like a heisty kind of energy to it. I really enjoy, especially Michael K. Williams as Leonard. Um, I'm less interested in Hap, but uh, that's James Purefoy. But, I mean, Christina God, Hendricks, I will watch terrible. her in, like, pretty much anything. So yeah. when you take the Christina Hendricks character and you com- and add in the Michael K. Williams character and an element of heist and of, uh, like... I, there's there's just sort of like a 70s adventure kind of show energy to some of this that I'm that I'm digging and the fact that I know that it's only six episodes is also ha- has me way more I think I'm way more on board with this than you are yes significantly okay so um, you're just not interested I mean I'm gonna give it like another two episodes and because I I have the time to give it another two episodes basically but those next three may just sit on the DVR until I have some extra time to do uh James Purefoy is a black hole of charisma on this show. He's just horribly miscast, I think. Um, He doesn't seem comfortable at all as Hap, and I'm not quite sure what Hap is supposed to be. He comes off occasionally charming, but I don't really buy it, is the problem. And he seems to be much more the center of the show, especially given um, Christina Hendricks' presence on the show as an ex-wife, I guess. I think that's correct. And as much as I like uh, her, as much as I just adore Michael K. Williams, I just, I had no way of getting invested in any of this at all. And then, yeah, it just seems so low energy to me. And then the last two minutes, I was just like, oh, finally, here's Jimmy Simpson. I've been looking forward to this. Wait, there's an assassin dressed up like a refugee from an 80s music video, and admittedly the show takes place in 1988, so that makes sense, but it was just like, where the fuck did that show come from, <laughs> and what is it doing in here? <laughs> I was a little underwhelmed, I must say, to discover that Jimmy Simpson is playing like a psycho, because I, I actually am really interested in him as an actor, and it, I'd like yeah. to get in to get to see him play more nuanced characters, but I'm sure he'll be yeah. very good at this. The, just yeah. the visual of, of that the disco, I can't even remember the character's name. Uh, the, the uh, but pink... played by Pollyanna Macintosh, but I can't remember the character's name either. Yeah, that just that was kind of amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, I what I connected to this is it, you could feel the fact that it was a book adaptation because a lot of these small characters felt like they were grounded in something else. Like they, I felt more like they were they were already digging into little character aspects to them. They felt like they had more personality. They felt like they walked off from a scene that was pre-existing. Like their lives were continuing off screen in a way that often isn't, especially with like quirky minor characters, isn't the case in, in pilots. So I think it's benefiting from that. Um, For those, we should also say this is a story about two guys in the eighties who are getting, getting embroiled in a heist to recover some money that's, at the bottom of a lake somewhere that river or something a river yeah. yeah that they theoretically will be able to find but there's also then they're getting involved with some shady characters and shady hippies shady hippies so there's there's some politics of you know the of the 80s versus you know the they were obviously they're like past their prime so there, there's a lot of references of to the 60s and, and to vietnam and some other things um so it's very much a period piece and commenting on these social issues um but for me, that's the, not the interesting part of it. For me, the interesting part of it are these are these characters. So I think that's I'm just connecting to them more than you are. Yeah, and I think that when you say it feels very much a period piece, I kept thinking all the way through it that if they didn't keep mentioning the 70s, 
I would have thought that this was taking place in 2016 because so much of it just didn't so much of it just didn't register as taking place in the 80s for me a lot and I was just like yeah I can see this as being like in rural poor south area and being perfectly reasonable today and nothing of it like an exaggerated version possibly but none of it really registered as the 80s to me okay which was weird and I yeah, so we're coming at this from very different perspectives because I really wanted more from the generational issues and tensions because mm-hmm. that was way more interesting to me than anything else that was happening. But I, even that wasn't interesting to me. I, I couldn't like find a foothold into that. Okay, well, fair yeah. enough. Um, and well, now I want to watch this every week so we can discuss it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll watch the second episode and be like, I yeah. don't know what I was talking about. Or maybe you'll have the reverse. We'll see. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll be like, wow, I was totally fucking wrong about this. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, let us know what you think about Happen Leonard, uh, listeners, because I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued now. Because, yeah. 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 Anyways, let's move on to our next show. And that's, of course, American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson, The Race Card. And I know I've been talking a lot about how I'm excited for episode six, but this one's a doozy, too. What did you think of The Race Card? Um, Probably the best episode the show's done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really, 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 just really. I can't emphasize how good <laughs> all the reallys, all the reallys. I can't emphasize really how good Sterling K. Brown is in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been someone who's been like on a periphery of a lot of really good shows, and he just like comes out swinging this week as um Darden. Is his name Darden? Yeah, yep. Darden. Um, just, like, is at the forefront. Um, but this is also just a really thoughtful, insightful episode about race. I mean, the race card itself isn't really a... It's it's right there. It's in the title. But, I mean, it's a really good exploration of what the N-word means, how it's used, how it's deployed, what it what kind of power it has when it is deployed. And it's... Also, just really interesting look, like, Marsha has no idea about the systemic racism that's at play that she's engaging in. And she's, once she realizes, she's just like, no, I'm still okay with this. Because it's going to serve my purposes. And it's just like, damn, this is terrible. Um, So yeah, no, uh, this was easily just really, really great episode. Best since, I think, the premiere, if not since the second episode, for sure. Uh, What did you think about it? Oh, I, yeah, it really works. And, I mean, opening with Cochran with that flashback, I think, also yeah. is very powerful. Especially, yeah. you know, for us viewing it coming a week after that fantastic episode of Blackish, uh, with, yeah. you know, with Hope. I mean, it, that puts extra an extra little cherry on top of Cochran's interactions with those police officers. Sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, they just keep finding new areas of the show to keep expand it's not new areas but they keep expanding on these seeds that they've planted and it's it's just really effective i mean we see we see steven pasquale in the premiere in the pilot as Furman. we know anybody is has any even a passing familiarity with the case knows that he'll be back um but yeah <laughs> the way he comes back here is really good and watching the frac you know like the the little um i guess lack of communication on the prosecution as darden tries to tell marcia this just 
just trust me on this. I know more about racist people than you do. <laughs> she just doesn't want to hear it. I mean, I think they're doing a really good job of setting up, uh, setting, establishing what should be a rock solid case for the prosecution, or at least establishing that that's how they see it. And then chipping away at it each week and showing how he's going to get off. We know he's going to get off and it's not just the prosecution screwing up. It's also the defense, you know, the showing the difference between Cochran's approach of narrative versus Marsha's really straightforward. If I'll just tell them what they should think and that's what they'll believe. Um, yeah. If people are polite, it's because they are polite. If they're acting polite, it's because they are polite, not because there's more nuance to it and not because there's subtext. So, um, I think the way that the show is again handling these levels without you know, and letting certain characters be clueless on certain topics without sacrificing the character integrity is is really uh one of Pivotal. the main yeah. strengths of the show, yeah. Yeah. And also it's just um after being with the defense for an extended period of time, as they established the dream team. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> Um, this return to the prosecution was really needed, um, since they had, like you said, been on the back burner a little bit, which was disappointing because Sarah Paulson's doing really just interesting work and certainly came around, as I said, is just doing really great work. And yeah, no, it's still just been a really solid show and just really exciting to watch it every week. And yeah, I can't say enough nice things about this show. And to think this is a show that I was just like, oh God, really? This? Yeah. And now I'm just like, yes, really, this. <laughs> it, it, it's just like one of those, of course, this. How did I not realize it was going to be, if done well, yeah. really good? Right. Yeah, it wasn't the true crime fantasia that I think we were expecting because of Ryan Murphy's involvement. And he's just the brand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What did, what did you think of our closing image? Yeah, that was that was deeply disturbing. <laughs> and I mean a real it was a really nice button on the episode as well. Um which I think was significant because I mean, yeah, narratively we we suspect Furman of just being kind of a crap cop on some level, but now it's just like, oh, oh, it goes a lot deeper than that. <laughs> so much deeper. And for people like me who had a... Oh, actually, didn't they like try to say that one of the cops was racist or something? And that's how they discredited him? Uh, so like, who didn't know the details? It's like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, definitely he's racist. Like, <laughs> there's no question. Like, the question could be whether or not you think that that affected any aspect of the case. That's a different question. But no, he yeah. racist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, if you're polishing your old school Nazi memorabilia that you have in a nice case. <laughs> yup. Yeah. There's, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. And it's just that dramatic irony again, because some of the audience will already know that. And so right. it's like, yeah, this is where we're going. And for those like me who didn't, yeah, it's a little tip of the tip of the hand, but another strong episode. And next week we will be all caught up. So, uh, the next episode is called Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So we're going to get more Sarah Paulson and uh, it's going to be maybe fun. a football thrown Maybe. at someone's face. Maybe, or just like a, a verbal one, just like an emotional football thrown at someone's face. Uh, but more on that next week. Now let's move to our last show of the week, and that is American Crime, Episode 9. Uh, but we saw last week the downfall 
of Felicity Huffman. This week, <laughs> she rises. She rises as a phoenix from the ashes because she's not an idiot, unlike the rest of the board. Uh, what did you think about this episode? And are uh, how are they gearing up for the finale for you? Well, after I finished the episode, I tweeted, "Adults are the worst." Yeah, this show certainly. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, the teenagers aren't that great either. But adults are the worst. <laughs> I mean, just, they're terrible. I mean, for me, this was kind of like not the best episode, in part because we got away from the teenagers, and they've consistently been the best part of this show on a number of levels, just acting-wise, but also just story-wise. They've just been really on point this entire season. So to shift away from them to look at how the adults were dealing with everything felt like a little bit of a, oh, but I don't, I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> about how any of these people feel about any of this. <laughs> um, but they're just, they're, they're really terrible people. Oh. Um, so, like, Huffman's character just, as we said, just rises from the ashes. Uh, re- being, respons- being responsible, in, again, a terrible way of not saying anything on the record or anything electronically or written down that could get her into trouble, which allows her to dissolve the board that wanted to fire her. And just other stuff like um, Eric's mom coming back and saying, no, I can't deal with this again. Yeah. It's just like, oh, God, really, lady? Really? You're the one that didn't want to deal with this, and now you're just like, I really can't deal with this. How about Hope Davis going to Taylor's mom and being like, oh, oh my God. This is like the worst. I thought as a parent, you might understand how I want to not help. You should just not help your kid so that we can, you can protect my kid. It's like, how are you so dense? How? Yeah. And she had seemed like semi reasonable for most of the season a little bit. It's just a complete inability to see outside of one's own perspective and to, to right. see how you're coming from a very good place. However, how does this, how do your actions affect other people and how will they react to that? Whew, not so much there. And that your entire comment just gets to the core of this season in general is this idea of not having any perspective outside oneself which was coming to the forefront even with the public school um, storyline, which has still felt really significantly underdeveloped, all things considered, um, especially as we enter the finale. Um, But no, this idea of not being able to see outside oneself or outside one's position within a cultural landscape has really just defined this season really Mm -hmm. significantly. And it has defined everyone's actions. Even... Even the hacker's action of he can't see outside that he's doing the correct thing, even though he's ruining lives. And he meets up with someone and she's just like, that's disgusting. That's super creepy, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. And it's like, oh, no, no, don't say you don't understand. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, (laughs) no. Jane um... Jane the Virgin has to Eggman explaining. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so, no, it's just been really... I say it was like the weakest episode because I just didn't care about like how the adults feel about anything. But, I mean, the 
weakest episode of American Crime is still the better episode of most shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, um, as for what I'm expecting, I have no idea what to expect for this week. I mean, short of a time skip for the finale, short of a time skip, I mean, there's not going to be like a sentencing for Taylor or anything like that. Or, I mean, the most that we can get is like the beginning of a hearing. (laughs) Yeah. If that. And so I don't quite know what to expect, um, regarding Taylor, which is frustrating because I'm deeply invested in what the outcome of him is even if he seems resigned to whatever his fate is going to be uh based on his comment of i understand about why his mom like left him with those two folks and yeah i don't know what to expect and the only thing i can expect is that felicity huffman will remain on top Because well, she, she will never come down. <laughs> as soon as Taylor was saying that, I was like, get him on Suicide Watch immediately. Because yeah. that's, that's the subtext there, as far as I'm concerned. And so that's I'm concerned about that uh, direction. We're clearly going to get more from the hacker guy in the finale. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you have any read on Eric and Coach Dan's interaction because that, to me, felt like the closest Coach Dan is going to come to understanding that Eric did this. Like, his when he says that Eric had absolutely no concern for how he it, what his actions affected anybody else. And I don't know if that's just, like, Coach Dan, get your head out of your ass. Or if it's also Coach Dan saying that there's this other side of Eric that he didn't open his eyes to. What do you think? I'm, based on his actions, especially within the past few episodes, I'm leaning towards his head still stuck up his ass. I mean, me too, right? (laughs) Right, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's been, oh gosh, I can't say enough good things about the acting on this show, but Hutton's walked a really fine line between being frustratedly charismatic and being a complete asshole. Mm -hmm. And he's leaned in heavy on the asshole recently, but that's been appropriate considering that he just feels really put upon, and I think that's an interesting perspective, mm-hmm. this idea of the put-upon father and the put-upon coach, who's basically being ordered around and controlled by a number of women in his life, but without any outlet, really. Mm-hmm. And they haven't played that aspect up. It's just, I feel like it's been really background. Yeah. And I think that's been really significant and without them saying that he's even vaguely chauvinistic or misogynistic. He's just deeply frustrated that he can't do anything. And I think that's interesting, but I think it also blinds him to the fact that Eric's in this very weird place and this lashing out in a number of different ways, and he can't quite see that. Yeah. Well, I think there's... uh undoubtedly a lot yet to come in that last episode i do not envy them uh, (laughs) having to wrap everything up in a at least somewhat like a narratively satisfying way right that's that's going to be the key is narratively satisfying i don't need unambiguous ending i just need satisfying and there's always a difference between that i don't yeah i don't need resolution to everything but it should feel like the end of a story even if the point is that it ends without ending you know so right. we'll see yeah. yeah 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 yeah. well what wins your week in genre and drama um i'm gonna go with race card from american crime story uh just 
Tour de Force from Sterling Kane Brown and Courtney B. Vance, mm-hmm. to be fair. He was also really great. I didn't give him enough props. But no, it's American Crime Story for me this week. What about you? Um, well, I will throw some love over to Agent Carter, seeing as uh, who knows if we'll get it again. But if I'm being yeah. honest, it's an American Crime Story. But, but, <laughs> but come on, Agent Carter, who knows when we get to talk about it. Hey. Tell we may not again. get any more American Crime Story next year either. So yeah, but we'll but be able to talk about week. it next week. next week. American Crime, yeah, next <laughs> week. So uh, along with several other finales next week, American Crime will be wrapping up season two next week. A few show notes here at the end. You can find a post up for this episode at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there. You can email us theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Be like Ryan. Leave us leave us a comment there. Respond to Ryan's comment from last week. We would love to get, have more conversation over at uh, at Facebook. You can also, of course, find us in iTunes, where you have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. Subscribe! Or, if you are subscribed, unsubscribe! And then subscribe and again! And then resubscribe. And yeah. then resubscribe. <laughs> uh, and then just keep doing it until you, you're pretty sure it until you're pretty Just for funsies, you know, like pass it around and be like, hey, it's it's the hip new thing. Subscribe, yeah. unsubscribe, resubscribe. It's, you know, good times. We're going to start a trend. <laughs> You can also, of course, find us both on uh, Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are at Noel R K. You can find some of my writing over at the AV Club, and Noel, uh, we have a bit of a hiatus, but we still have Legends of Tomorrow going up at TV.com. That is correct, and I'm also going to be next week covering the premiere of uh, Kings and Prophets, dusting off, dusting off the Bible, so I can read my books of Samuel. Yeah, it's it's not good, guys. It's not good. Yeah, I'm I'm not expecting it to be good either. But I don't get to review like biblical epics that often. So yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> that there are some not white people playing the people that shouldn't be white for once. Hey, that's yeah. that's it's depressing that that's progress. But hey, but it is. You know, also we have next week. Carmichael show is back. Agents of Shield is oh, back. That's right. I am Kate is back. Damien is starting up, which I know you were more interested in than I was. I got a couple shows on Netflix. Mm. There's a lot of TV next week. Yeah. Who knows how we're going to survive it? Uh, but we're for not. now, <laughs> that's a good answer. But for now, we're going to take a break and come back with Katie Burt of Den of Geek and Collider to talk in the flesh. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Kieran! It's alright. It's alright. Another involuntary recurrent memory. They're getting more vivid. That's a good sign. It means the cognitive circuitry is connecting again. Like a computer rebooting. Maybe it means I'm not ready. No, it, it means the opposite. No, I don't feel ready. That's exactly why you're ready. You're feeling. It's not, not just the flashbacks. The medication, uh, all the side effects. It means your brain's responding, repairing. That's a positive. Count yourself lucky. You don't want to be a patient who doesn't respond to neurotriptyline. Where do they go? The ones that don't respond? We take care of them. Your parents. They're looking forward to seeing you again. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? Because I'm a zombie. And I killed people. No. Kieran, what are you? Look at me. You are... I am a partially deceased syndrome sufferer. And? And what I did in my untreated state was not my fault. Good. 
Okay. Could you maybe talk to someone, Dr. Shepard, um, to get more time? It's going to be good for you going home. Next. back with the televerse this is kate Kalsik, joined as ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week on the dvd shelf we are talking about a show uh that i'm stoked to be talking about and i'm definitely you know listeners to the televerse for a while will know that uh we've been big fans of it over here and i'm glad to dive in with it once more uh, and that's in the flesh and here to help us talk about it from den of geek and collider uh katie katie burt welcome to the podcast katie thank you so much for coming on thanks for inviting me i'm really excited to talk about this television show <laughs> So, uh, people, like I said, long-term listeners to the podcast will know I'm a fan, um, and, and there's so much I think we could dive in with. But let's start with what what drew your attention to the show to begin with? Like, did you start watching it right when it came on, or did you find it later? What was your what's your relationship within the flesh? Yeah, I it was definitely on my radar when it first started airing. Um, and my favorite kind of television is character-driven genre stuff, so it did seem like it would be up my alley. But I've never been a huge fan of zombie stuff or horror, really, in general. So I kind of waited to see what other people were saying about it. And I remember that io9 was um, reviewing it really uh, well. And they, they just kept talking about how good it was. So it was on my my list of things to watch. But I didn't end up watching it until it had all aired. And, yeah, just immediately became immersed in the world and was just so impressed with how well um this really original idea of, you know, a part of a genre that just seems like it's been done so many times, how well it was executed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just love genre, well, genre anything pretty much is going to be a, a plus one starter for me that you're starting off a good foot of this genre. But, but I really get into the genre that then uses that medium to explore cur- current culture and, and par- elements of the human condition that you can't really explore in the same way with another genre. It gives it such a freedom and uh, a creativity to really look at, at, at issues and at people, at, at very distinct individuals. And I think that's what we get in the flesh. So it's it's no surprise that this is something that I'm a fan of. But Noel, you hadn't seen in the flesh before this. Had you heard of it? Were you like familiar with it and you just hadn't made time for it? Or did it just completely miss you? I'm really bad at watching BBC America. Um, is my excuse for uh, missing in the flesh is that since I don't watch Doctor Who and I very rarely like turn into uh, BBC America, I I knew it was on and people were talking about it, uh, but I didn't know anything about it apart from the fact that it involved zombies coming back to lot coming back and being reintegrated into society, and that was the extent of what I knew about it. It sounded interesting to me and then I just let it slide in part because I had heard about it its cancellation in relation to BBC three going uh, off, well off, off the air to become like a web service. So I just went, nah, nah, I've got, I've got a lot else on my plate. And I'll just kind of let this go. But Katie wanted to talk about it. So I watched all nine episodes and I'm, I, uh, I have opinions. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's dive in. What, what did you think? Um, I really like the first series. The first season is fantastic. Um, it's just such a really acute and sharp character study, uh, both in terms of this town as a character, Warton, and all the citizens around it and how they respond to this. 
series season two i was less involved in um mainly because i found the whole um religious uh quasi-religious idea of a prophet and the second rising stuff just to be really kind of plot driven and i could never fully get into it as a motivator for a lot of the characters and yeah i just i wasn't as into the second season as i wasn't really into the first season but i think because the first season has such a laser focus that it felt so tight story-wise that i couldn't not get swept up in it but for long stretches of season two i was just kind of like Okay, can can I just hang out with Simon and Amy and Kieran and not worry about the rest of this? <laughs> but yeah, no. So I mean, I totally get why people love the show. And bouncing off what you both said about how it really extrapolated a lot of certain current societal stuff to deal into the show to like look at it. I mean, that's what good horror and good science fiction does. And so on that, on the pure genre level, I think In the Flesh is just super, super successful. It just, the second season didn't rub me as well as the first season did. Well, it definitely takes a shift. Yeah. Going from that, you know, very uh, Kieran-centered first three episodes to really expanding out a lot of different elements of the world in, in the second season. And I liked it more than you did. I really enjoyed the whole second season as well. But I can see... That, that difference in tone and approach, I don't know how, there's somewhat a difference in tone, but the, in, in the approach, definitely I can see where that would be maybe a different uh, gear. Um, how, about you, how about you, Katie? What do you think about the first season versus the second? Yeah, for me, I think the first season is better, but I actually like the second season more. Like I can recognize how there's very little that doesn't work about the first season. Like because there's only three episodes, there isn't time to waste at all. Um, But I like the ambition of the second season. And I think in terms of the religious plot line, I do think it works in some cases better than others. But I'm also willing to cut it some slack because it feels like religion is such an underrepresented exploration in contemporary drama and I think the flashback episode um or the semi-flashback episode with Simon um was really effective at showing how he made that decision and making it seem valid at least to me as a viewer for me this is a show because we've been talking about the great things that genre can do about like you know addressing issues and and really diving in with them but the number one thing for me, while I, that's part of what makes me recommend the show and part of what I love about it, the number one thing for me is how invested I am in the characters. And that's something that really comes to the fore in season one. Like, right away, I care about these characters in season one. But by the time we get to season two, I spent most of season two being like, you stay away, <laughs> you stay away from Ren, Simon. I don't trust you. You can't. <laughs> Don't don't hurt this special boy, <laughs> and and Amy. I mean, I, don't even get me started. I, well, I mean, we will dive in with Amy too, but like, just gutted me every time, <laughs> over and over throughout the show. I, I just I was so invested in these characters so quickly, and I mean that not sacrificing one of those two uh, themes or ideas. You know, as far as what what's the most important thing is it character or is it um, allegory? Uh, the fact that this show really prioritizes both of them I think is what makes it at least for me in its short run made it stand out to me yeah especially I think that was one of the things that initially um from the very first episode I enjoyed about the show and thought that was somewhat novel which is Kieran is such a unique protagonist um compared to there's so many anti-hero 
men and women on television right now and to have um not only a protagonist but a zombie protagonist who is so you know thoughtful and introspective and empathetic um like the antithesis of what you think of when you think of a rabid zombie which just was really cool and just like actually how this show glorifies empathy in general I think that's relatively rare especially you know within the zombie genre and that's what sets it apart from um yeah most other stuff on television (laughs) well zombie shows tend to be about the destruction of things and the the world falling apart and um and you know the looming specter of death right but this Mm -hmm. one is much more interest in interested in recovering from that i mean what other way could you tell a story about somebody a kid you know at least you know a teenager uh who who killed himself and then had to deal with the fallout of there's no other way to tell that story it's a story no one is i haven't seen anybody and i my knowledge of zombie uh media especially film is very limited but i've never seen anybody else try to tell that story before and i thought it was incredibly compelling I think this point about empathy and this idea of rebuilding through the idea of a zombie apocalypse is really important um, to look at and think about. Uh, Because like you guys, like you both have addressed, it's just zombie narratives tend to be very focused on loss and destruction. And even like, uh, Kate, you can speak to this better than I can, maybe you too, Katie, since I don't watch The Walking Dead, but I mean, even that is more about survival than it is about rebuilding and living. That's just about getting by, which is something that's totally different, and the idea of empathy, and again, I'm not sure, and you, both of you may be able to speak to this, that idea of empathy just sometimes just isn't there in The Walking Dead, or at least in my outsider perspective of it. Uh, it never really comes to the forefront as much because paranoia and distrust are just so ingrained in how they're having to survive. And now, with this, that paranoia and distrust within in the flesh about rotters and uh, the government and just all this sort of stuff, and just your, the community that you live in, uh, gets balanced out and pushed back against. So it doesn't feel quite as nihilistic in a lot of ways because there's ways around it and ways to think through it and ways to feel through it, which is really important and really significant. Yeah, that word balance, um, this is actually, your point is one that when I was thinking about things that I love about this show that really kept coming up, which is I. it's really hard for me to watch just like bleak, depressing drama (laughs) um and that's a lot of you know I don't actually watch The Walking Dead I started watching it and it just felt like it wasn't for me um but I still like when shows address these like darker depressing themes and the fact that the show is especially in the first season takes like mental illness as such an important part of the plot is amazing and not something you see a lot on television especially in the main character um but that is balanced out by this like sense of optimism and hope. Like I, yeah, it's just hard for me for things to just be too, too bleak without at least having some other um, counterbalance. And there's like very funny moments in the show as well, which is great and not something I was necessarily expecting going in. And just the way that all those things feel organic and realistic is um, yeah. Amazing to me. 
as the person who watches The Walking Dead. <laughs> us, uh, I'm glad there's one of us. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they do. That is a discussion the show is obsessed with is survival versus living. And it's something that is difficult to have punctuation on on a 16 episode a season. It's going to run forever because everyone watches it show when you have nine episodes that is something you can, you know, or even yeah. just three in the first season of, of In the Flesh. That's something that you can be much more definitive about and not just have the same questions keep recurring. But um, I do think that, I mean, it's because it, survivors of a, you know, on The Walking Dead, they're survivors of the apocalypse, basically. And it's very much in us and them. And there's not a lot of gray until you end up in the, the people are the bad guys thing, which is what is at the root of almost all zombie stories. Um, but here, because you're starting from that point of it's not just the zombies are bad. It's, it's okay. Let's instead of thinking of this as it's humanity trying to defeat death, let's instead, you know, and, and in a world so full of death and where death isn't, inevitability what does that say about life is so instead of having that conversation which we've all had many times and through our media um instead they're having a conversation about overcoming overcoming one's past and the and darkness and decisions we don't understand and horrible things we may have done and 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 the way that you know even if you want to look at it just through the lens of mental mental health, uh, being so trapped in being being trapped within this like dead exterior and having to relive the the things that the way you hurt other people over and over again, the way that the people you know the PDS, you know the zombies basically do. The more they get better, the more they have to relive the people that they killed and what they did when they were in their estates. And, and like just engaging in all these different topics and saying, yes, I know we've all seen zombie movies, we've all seen zombie shows, but here's some here's something that no one has, not very many people at least have thought to use this to explore. And why don't we, instead of just having the same conversation, just take a slight step over here to the to the side and, and have a different one instead? Yeah, my reaction to first watching the show was very similar to my reaction when I first found Battlestar Galactica and how it felt like it was asking questions and exploring themes that were so present in our like cultural consciousness but that pop culture wasn't doing a very good job of addressing um and I think both Battlestar Galactica and the show have this this um exploration of what grief and trauma looks like on the personal and um like social level and what even more importantly maybe what happens when it's not addressed what happens when people try to ignore it um or try to find simple solutions to their lingering like trauma or ptsd or grief um and they find solutions yeah, yeah. I don't know. In rewatching the last two episodes, um, because that's what I did before before this podcast, and seeing the scene where um they finish building the fence around Wharton, and I don't know, it just felt like it was so relevant to like American <laughs> political discourse right now in the most 
yeah, topical way. Um, and I don't know if you guys felt that way at all. <laughs> no, it's it's a sad fact that anytime someone wants to build a wall or a fence anywhere now, I'm just like, oh gosh, no, let's let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Watching the flash. <laughs> These themes of othering and alienation and, yeah. and you know, preying on fear to secure power for oneself, uh, they're, they're universal mm-hmm. and they keep coming back in, in pop culture over time because they speak to a, a element of the, the human, um, of human nature and, and in what can be exploited and, and, you know, if, one is of the more liberal bent, maybe instincts <laughs> that should be fought against and not and not indulged. Um, but I will say to to get a little bit more specific, and since you brought up the last two episodes, I, I must say one of my favorite things about the second season is the way they set up Francine as this like umbrage mm. figure to mm-hmm. you know for Harry Potter fans, but um, just this very distinct kind of enemy. And then just in the last few episodes, like, no, she cray. <laughs> She's just crazy. Yeah. She's like, it's not what you thought it was. The whole, yeah, I love that. They also, so because there's certain tropes that they absolutely take advantage of and, and explore. And then I just love that they went, no, actually she's trying to start the apocalypse guys. Uh, <laughs> I like that. They zagged a little there. Did you guys have other favorite elements of the show in, in the first or the second season to get a little bit more specific? I love Philip's character arc so much, and um, I don't think it's necessarily, um, I don't know how unexpected it is that he, you know, he has that really defining moment where he goes and stands in front of the brothel and gives that speech about um, how, you know, people are treating the PDSFers as an other or looking down upon them so they can make themselves feel better and what if we did something else and then no one listens to him but yeah I just <laughs> no I love moved. yeah and I love how you understand how his character was brave enough to do that and had the like moral compass and empathy because of for me I see it in like his mother and how how she She's responds to everything yes oh uh, and that final moment when they're or one of the final moments when they're in the um the fair and she just calls him back and is like you did good I just love that moment so much and it just explains so much about his character that she is such um an empathetic um person especially given how she's introduced as kind of a a comic character in the very first episode I've really responded to um basically the entire like Walker family a lot um just their dynamics as like a unit, I think we're really great. I mean, just uh, Steve's evolution um, from like his like deep, deep denial about everything uh, in that first season, and then like getting really finally getting angry and like being upset um, was just really, really powerful for me. And um, that was part of the reason why the second season just didn't like click in as well for me because it was just like I felt like. Jem had come to terms with stuff, and I felt like Steve had come to terms with stuff, and then it was just like, uh, no, we're gonna backtrack just a little bit here, and it felt a little motivated in some ways, but I just loved their dynamics, especially in that first season of them not really wanting to admit the fact that their son's has a disorder and a syndrome that they have to address and have to live with. They're just kind of pretending like he's still himself and he isn't going through anything. And I think that's just a really big, interesting thing 
for the show to address about, well, if we don't talk about it, then it's perfectly fine. And I mean, the easy joke to make was, well, that's just a very British thing for them to do. But it's just a very human thing to do, is not to acknowledge that sort of thing. And I think that's just a really powerful thing for the show to do. And it does set up a lot of where um, Kieran just, like, moves around in season two and how he ends up, like, really falling in with Simon and that sort of stuff. And it just, it makes sense. I mean, no one's, like, really responding to him as him. And so, of course, he'd, he'd, he would want to be with someone and that wants him to be who he is. Well, and then they get to contrast that in the first season with, uh, with Rick and his family and, right. And, and that other level of it. And, and I'm so glad Katie, that you brought up a funnier moment <laughs> because <laughs> so many of the, the moments that stick with me for this show are the gutting one. So Karen finding, you know, the body and oh. like, it just, <laughs> destroys you like there's so many and like amy feeling the rain is another really beautiful moment for me but then i i, I we can talk about the ending a little bit here but i just yeah. choose to believe she's not dead because <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't want her to be uh and in my head in season three it's, it's just it's all good she gets up and just put you know puts on a new fabulous outfit and we're all good um because <laughs> i i think if i had to pick a, a character that i was most with it's it's between Kieran and Amy, and I just but but Kieran spends a lot of time not uh, just like sort of torturing himself. So the, I appreciate very much, especially in the the first season, the having that presence of Amy there. I think is so important to again we've talked about balance a bunch, but to to kind of help him not wallow quite as much as maybe he would in the ridiculous amount of stuff he's dealing with. Right, and and. and... Emily Bevan's just so good. Bevan, 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 yeah, Bevan, yeah, is just really, really great as Amy. Like powerhouse, unyielding performance from her. Yeah, and their friendship is just a great through line throughout both seasons. But yeah, I love the 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 fact that their characters are best friends in that first season, and that Kieran's journey is so much about wanting to live and accepting like life as a gift and that Amy is just that's how she lives every single second they're so different in that regard she sees it as a blessing because it was something that was taken from her too soon and Kieran obviously doesn't feel the same way or at least didn't so to see him go through that process um in the first season and actually in thinking about that one of my favorite moments from either season is the conversation between Kieran and his mom in the cave in the third episode um where she and their relationship in general but when she asks him you know she says something like you know I want you to stay like that's just such a powerful moment for me absolutely they they again like I said so <laughs> many feels all of the tears mm-hmm. the just the culmination in season one at the cave just I remember watching it the first time just being like ah how did I not see all of this coming right and I had the same response and I like watched all of those episodes pretty much back to back to back and I just went oh 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 that hurt a lot <laughs> yeah yeah well, before we run out of time, do we have any... I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on what season three in their head is, seeing as we will not get a season three. Uh, That's a or, fair question to ask, I think. Or, or, or final uh, thoughts on the show, characters or performance we haven't mentioned, or, or other elements. 
Yeah, um, Katie, what do you, since this was your suggestion for us to discuss, um, what do you, how did you imagine, like, a third season going? Because I, like, halfway through that second episode, I based that final episode, I just went, but wait, where did those two people go? Because they just kind of disappeared. <laughs> yeah, they're such weird, awesome, like, almost like Twins Peak level yes. characters or something. And that's such a a jarring moment at the beginning of that episode where they are there and you have no idea what's going on. But yeah, I, I haven't thought a lot about what season three would look like because, um, well, I tend, I think just because I tend to care more about the characters and the plot and so many of those unanswered questions are plot related, but I definitely think that Amy is still uh, alive, I guess is a weird word to use here, but in some (laughs) form and, and watching, rewatching that last episode, for some reason, I really um, was, like zoomed in on the part where they put that stuffed tiger into a bag as like evidence, and yeah. I imagine her like waking up in some like compound where she doesn't, you know, she's her life is just completely controlled for whatever reason um, by this mysterious um, corporation, and seeing that stuffed tiger and that being like a, a nice little moment amongst the misery that I'm sure would have come in season three. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, for me, I think that a season three would have been the fact that it was a corporation, not the government, I think is really interesting. And I wonder if that is the show's way of getting back to one of the big key ideas of zombie narratives, especially with, by like the seventies of zombies as consumers and the satire of uh, satire of capitalism and how that works within the zombie genre typically at least in film it hasn't really been played out in television in any real way but how that works basically and that to me is interesting even if i'm not like super on board with wouldn't have been like super on board with the show like expanding its world even more because i'd like that emphasis on wharton and as a microcosm so it might have been interesting. I don't know how much I would have cared about it, but I mean that was the reaction I was having to a lot of like the larger zombie terrorist cells with the blue oblivion and that sort of thing. I was just like, eh, I get this, and this is an interesting idea, but I'd rather hang out in Morton. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, but the main thing for me is just Amy's gonna be back somehow and also amy that's like i don't need her to be alive i just need to be her to be still amy uh and yeah. then i would be i need the bdffs to to get back together by the end of the imaginary season three so <laughs> that's my main thing uh i i i think we've kind of it's been part of our discussion but i think we should also just blatantly also say i love the treatment of or the exploration of sexuality and this mm-hmm. and that they just because because they could have danced around it more and made things more subtextual but they just go no he this is what happened to these kids and it was because they're gay or they were in a relationship uh, to we don't need labels but because they were in a relationship and uh his dad freaked out and that led to this which led to this and they all they made this their own decisions amongst that but i, I the way that they use zombieism to to explore uh even just the families coming to terms with the sexuality of their kids um with with kieran and, and rick um i thought was very powerful and um 
this is, I mean, it's not that old a show. It's only from a few years ago. I mean, the television was going at the time. But I still felt like at the time I wasn't seeing very many shows um, talking about sexuality, especially of teenagers. And, I mean, this we're talking about the show while American Crime is just having such an amazing, powerful show uh, season right now, also dealing with, with uh, characters who are grappling with sexuality as part of what they're dealing with. Um, and how that affects their families and their, their subculture, you know, like just just their, I guess the, the, the different schools and things. Um, cause it's not like this is groundbreaking stories. Like, you know, it's not like these are things we haven't heard before, seen before, but I think using this, like telling this story through this lens was something that I hadn't really seen anybody else do. And for me, it was very effective. Yeah. And refreshing that, um, you know, the protagonist is um, queer in some way, but that it's not about him being LGBT, you know, which I think is yeah. is a, still a somewhat recent um, development in television. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if either of you have seen London Spy, yeah. where it's, it's a spy drama and the main character happens to be gay, but, and that's a very, very much informs his identity and the story but it's not specifically about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on to talk, uh, to talk in the flesh. And where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, probably it's easiest just to follow me on Twitter at Katie Burt, K-A-Y-T-I-B-U-R-T. And thank you once more, Katie. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.